Welcome to Relatable with Ash, where we talk about all things mindset, wellness, relationships, and empowerment. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let me know. I would love to hear what you liked, what you'd want us to explore. And also, if you are willing to, giving the podcast episode a rating and or a review, depending on uh, what platform you're listening on. We will see you next time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. So we went on a long car ride this morning and we were listening to um, a podcast of Chaz's and they were talking all about gut health and it just kind of got me thinking about, you know, how Chaz and I eat so well but there's also so much that we don't know and so this is actually a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while and it revolves around, you know, quote-unquote healthy eating, nutrition um, and making it a lifestyle, I suppose, as opposed to dieting. And I think that was the biggest thing that – the biggest reason I wanted to do it is because I've heard of so many people going on diets and it's never – it. It might work for them in the short term, losing weight, for example, as a goal. But at at the end of the day, they're, for the most part, miserable. Um, (laughs) It's a pretty bleak picture. They they are, though. When, like, if you're you're doing... While they're on the diet. While they're on the diet, Mm. yeah. The diet is making them miserable and it makes them not want to continue the diet. And then it creates a negative relationship with food. Mm. And to me, it's all about creating a lifestyle change but you've kind of always um been around more of a healthy style of eating wouldn't you say yeah I think my family has like a very progressive view on food and have always been trying different angles in which they can life hack their ways into a healthier being which is a really, really cool way of looking at things. But there's also so much you can do, particularly with how poorly food is treated in like Western culture. Like everything is just so processed. And then even the fresh food you get has pesticides on it. And if you want to eat organic, then you're going to have to go source that from a fresh food market. There's not very much range in your... um, grocery stores and it can get very very complicated and overwhelming so I can see why people tend to just try and do quick fixes Um, but when you do a quick fix like you're saying it's not a lifestyle change and inevitably they kind of fall back into their old habits it's also very hard to make a food change because you're surrounded by media and marketing pushing you to revert back to your normal eating habits and then our societal norms with work life force you to have poor habits with relation to time management and creating good food for yourself and so we have this culture where it pushes you for fast food 
and that's convenient, that's easy. A lot of the time it is cheap relative to if you were to take food super, super seriously and buy organic all the time and buy the best food you possibly can. It's probably comparable in price to eat out all the time versus eating the utmost pristine food you could possibly source because you also got to factor in that if you want to eat really, really, really well, in most cases, unless you're super, super lucky with where you are currently displaced with your living, being close to like a really good health shop probably is like a 40-minute drive away for some people, especially for us. And so if you want to make that trip to go out to get food, you're expending fuel money to just get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there is some middle ground but every time like I kind of dive into it or I listen to a podcast on nutrition, I always feel like I'm like, God, I could be doing more. But mm. um, but it's making, making the changes should be something that you implement in stages that you can actually uphold. Mm-hmm. Don't try and make like a huge shift immediately because if you shift everything immediately, I guarantee you're just going to relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a really strong-willed person, you might be able to do that. Mm. But I would bet if you haven't been able to manage your food already um, and you were a strong-willed person, I would be very surprised you weren't already considering that. And maybe maybe your lifestyle just doesn't match up anyway. You, you haven't gotten to the point where you value health yet. Maybe you're just like very log- like intellectual or um, think about other areas of your life. I think people to like let's say someone doesn't value health entirely that it's possible that a lack of value around health is first of all like Chaz said like you know time constraints stress overwhelm things like that but the I guess what you have to understand is that your health and or your nutrition what you're eating is like completely wrapped around everything else in your life you know even for instance this morning they were talking about on the podcast how um, detrimental mouthwash can be for mm. example and I was saying you know the people that are take uh, using mouthwash every day multiple times a day it's possible that they're doing it mostly because they have bad breath but why do they have bad breath it's not like I don't think and I haven't looked into it but I don't think that that is something that is like oh, I just have bad breath. I think that is completely related to like what you eat, what, you eat, what you're ingesting. Yeah, 100%. You, you can definitely tell if you've eaten like a bad run of like takeout a couple nights in a row or something like that, your farts are going to smell like the devil's breath. Like it's so <laughs> bad. Like And like your, yeah, your gut hates it. I also think um, there's there's probably an incubational period like for people like you and me who eat really healthy when we eat bad food it really affects our system a lot more whereas like if you've exposed yourself to it you almost have a bit of immunity to it in some sense but it's also to do with the fact that you have that kind of gut bacteria in your gut to break down that food but that doesn't mean that you're going to be healthier by eating it it just means you might not necessarily feel as much of a shock relative to the dis the difference between how you felt before because you already felt like shit Mm. like feeling like shit to feeling worse isn't that big of a steep feeling really sorry jump feeling really good to feeling like shit you're going to notice it immediately Mm. um and i think people 
people like haven't recognized the difference because of that fact. Like they, they haven't actually realized what it feels like to optimize your life really well. Um, there, there might also be, and I, I, I've heard it before when I offer people food that I can eat. So like if you're listening and you don't know about my gut stuff. We should go into that. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Go uh, from the start. Okay. So um, my relationship, <laughs> woo, yay. My relationship with food has always been interesting. I've always like very quickly, I had a shit ton of sugar when I was little, like LCMs, roll-ups. I think a lot, many of us might have. You want me to give you some guiding questions to like direct it a bit? No. No? Okay. I, I'm good. I was just going to skip forward to, um, uh, yeah, I've always had kind of like in gastrointestinal struggles and I think that's predominantly related to stress and, and uh, yeah, the diet that I was eating. But, you know, fast forward to 14, I started getting crazy um, stomach pains. I was taken out of school. I was in hospital, whether that was emergency or I was having like um, – colonoscopy and endoscopy had so many so many tests done and nothing was nothing was showing up bad I was seeing a pediatric gastroenterologist I think that's how you say it it's a big word it is a big word it's a huge word um consistently and she also recommended that I see a dietitian and from there the dietitian was like well let's try FODMAP which is reducing like fructose oligosaccharides, like all these things that I actually have no idea what they are. But she gave me a list of foods to try to avoid. And at the end of the day, I was finding that it didn't matter. Like some of these foods were actually okay. That said that she said that I possibly couldn't eat and it was all trial and error. So what I actually ended up doing was stripping back my diet completely, like through the guidance of my parents and the dietitian, where I would just pretty much eat rice and soy sauce or like rice and sausages. And I, I did this for a number of weeks and then I would introduce food that I used to eat again. There's an elimination diet, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. You start eliminating things and then you add new things in. And what I ended up finding was that gluten was huge for um, you know particular symptoms. Um, dairy was huge for particular symptoms. And over time... What were those symptoms? So for gluten, it was um, intense cramping, huge bloating. I looked like I was like four to six months pregnant um, <laughs> and it was very painful. Like it was, yeah, like sharp stabbing pains. I'd be constipated for three days and then I would just shit it all out. <laughs> and then uh, dairy I found was intense nausea, if not vomiting, depending on the amount of dairy that I've had. Um, and I, I start sweating profusely and then it was also garlic. Garlic was the last thing that I eliminated. And that was only in the past three years with, um, Chaz and I, that I found I would get, I found I would get like rashes on my legs and the same kind of similar symptoms to gluten, onion, chili, and pepper, which all have the same symptoms as like the dairy. So I start getting really, really hot. I start sweating. And then I'm like within 20 minutes, I'm on the toilet 
liquid out my butthole, (laughs) (laughs) to be quite frank. Which, to be fair, if I ate a bunch of chilli, probably have a very similar reaction. Like, chilli's going to make you hot, you'll start sweating, and then at some point I'll probably visit the bathroom. That was was me eating, and I remember it, (laughs) it was sweet chilli and sour cream grain waves. Yeah, and so like obviously that dose of like chili is pretty low. Like mm. I I would probably have to eat like a few chilies for that to uh that happen. Mm. Like maybe there's a possibility you could slowly uh, dose yourself and try and try and create some kind of immunity to it by upping. But it would just it's it's too miserable to go through. Um yeah. But yeah, so your relationship with food has ended crazy. Well, yeah, it has been crazy. It's been tough. Yeah. Um but what I was going to point to earlier with people like sticking to diets is like you've been forced into your scenario and you had to go through a grief period of not being able to eat what everyone else is eating. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where most people struggle with their eating as well is when they try and make like a big shift. They don't have the discipline to overcome that grief or that loss of being able to like consume what everyone else is consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, we've spoken about this before, it's been a huge blessing in some sense that you can't, you like you, the negative effects that happen from consuming the foods that you can't eat are so profound that it's forced you to adopt a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Me, on the other hand, I don't have any of those issues other than milk. If I have, um, if I have homogenized and pasteurized milk, I will spend some time on the bathroom quite quickly. Um, but oddly enough, I can have unhomogenized and unpasteurized. So that's like literally raw milk straight from the cow. And I can drink that fine. So that says something about what the hell are we doing to milk by heating it up and then like nuking it to get it to the point where it no longer has any of these enzymes left in it, but also is now pathogen risk-free. Um but it does something weird for, for me to be able to digest it. Like you kill all the positive enzymes as well that help you break down the milk and then all of a sudden you've got this scenario where you're pretty much just drinking this poison or at least my body takes it as like poison and it says evacuate. Mm. Um, something I wanted to say too was like uh, uh, I noted you used the word forced into my situation which – it's kind of true. Like I've been, I've definitely been put in a corner, but I think about my granddad and he definitely had stomach issues. He might've had IBS or something, but he always chose to continue eating. It didn't matter. Like he would just eat whatever. And then he would go have violent diarrhea. <laughs> and it was, it was bad. You just but- hear him screaming. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't seem to care. And, and, um, I just I couldn't put myself through that. I'm like I'm not going to live my life this way. It's another symptom that I forgot to mention was times that I have accidentally eaten gluten. The next morning I would wake up feeling not knowing entirely that I've eaten gluten. I would feel like kind of depressed. Yeah, and it's almost like the come down after like a a hung, hangover. Yeah, like you're, you're miserable. You feel depressed. You're kind of sad, bit foggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was exactly it. So. In saying that, like, I love food. Like, I've always loved food and I also used it a lot when I was stressed or overwhelmed. I would come home and just, like, eat a bag of chips or, like, have a bunch of Tim Tams or Oreos. Like, I had no discipline in regards to that. But it was, like, it was 
my relationship with food was food makes me feel better. And then all of a sudden I had this food makes me feel shit. And like Chaz said, I went through the grieving process for like two years. It would make me sad that I couldn't go out and eat and I would genuinely cry. And I don't know if you were with me at that point. Um, I would have a lot of anxiety around eating in general and any food that I ate get, made me stressed because I was like, what if this is contaminated? What if, what if this has this? What if this has that? And it's not a very nice approach to go down. And something that I was going to say earlier was people have such a negative outlook. I mean, it might be changing now around like gluten-free, dairy-free, raw food. I, I, I just can recall so many times when I've, I've made something or something has been made for me and I'll offer it to someone and I'll go, here, have this. And they're like, I'll say like it's gluten-free, dairy-free and they're like, oh, never mind. I don't want to eat it. It's like, what? <laughs> you haven't even tried it. <laughs> but I think that that can definitely play a role in people not wanting to change the food in their diets is, yeah, the negative connotations that they have towards it. I think that was a fair, a fair assessment of what the food used to taste like though. Like if we go back when you were 14, 15, because I remember like I would have been only a couple of years older, but my mum used to be all over buying that kind of product, like gluten-free particularly. And we were like the early adopters of like rye bread and things like that. Um, and I actually don't mind rye bread these days, but I remember like gluten-free pancakes, like buckwheat pancakes. Uh. Oh, it was disgusting. Every single product was disgusting. Like when, like you go back to, well, that would have been 2012, right? You go back to 2012, food that was gluten-free, dairy-free was the 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 shittest tasting food you'd ever tasted. But these days they've really knuckled it down. Like they know what, what, how to make the flour just right. Mm. And like even, even uh, like the breads are good. Um, they have like a nice like texture to them. The flavor isn't like the premium breads do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just so good now. Um, but also the issue is, as you see now, is like, well, what the hell else is in it other than just sugar? Like, if you're getting like yourself a treat, a lot of the time, dairy free and, uh, and gluten free food is AKA meaning it's just totally made out of sugar if you're getting some kind of treat like it's just like what else can you make it with oh we can make it with sugar um so that can be the downfall as well like people who are eating like that don't always necessarily um or aren't always necessarily eating healthy it it can also just be like a cop out um in some sense and they just become really really sugar dependent because they can't really eat anything else and then you're running into issues where you could cause yourself diabetes that was a huge stigma that you just pointed out was that like people who eat gluten-free and or dairy-free are like healthy by design. That's mm. not true at all. The If you go to the health section, health section, mm. all the, the snacks in that aisle, like Chaz said, completely filled with sugar. And you see the amount of like ingredients that are in it. The more ingredients that are in a product, the less your body is going to like it functionally your your mouth might like the taste of it but it's just not good for you to have that like 20 ingredients in a thing of bread yeah like the yeah the, the harder they work to make something palatable the more likely it's going to have like a weird blend of fats sugars 
um, to make you wanting to just eat more and kind of like make the food almost addictive in some sense. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. So how do you avoid eating those foods then? I cook a lot of my foods and I try to eat as fresh as I can. So like I, every now and then I love bread. I, I'll probably have like two slices a week. I'll try to avoid having cheese, but I love being able to have nachos. So I'll have that weekly. But yeah, a lot of it comes down to making my own meals and making sure there's enough leftovers for me to eat the next day. And I, I think that's where I've how I've become such a good cook is by learning to cook everything from scratch. So learning how to make sauces and even I it it taught me that certain ingredients make certain flavor profiles like people are so unaware and I was too you know I thought you know garlic and onion make things taste good everything which it does, which it does but everything else is just a bonus and it's not true like I learned celery I know that this sounds so backwards but Chaz didn't even realize I was using celery in a lot of the dishes like the pork stew that I, I do mm. it gives it just like this this beautiful taste same with apple cider vinegar like there's so many little things that you can add to meals in small amounts that give it like a depth and a texture yeah i kind of my relationship with celery was like it's only good with peanut butter Mm. you know what i mean and like i would only eat it by itself it was only ever served to me with like carrots and celery's raw and so i never really liked celery because i was like oh it's just like this stringy vegetable that i have to like gnaw on a heat but when you slap it into like a stew or something like that it really soaks up all of the other flavors Mm. um and it, it does taste really good um but yeah so like making your own meals is crucial Mm. and having the dietary requirements that you do means that we don't get to cop out on making any of the the flavors within our dishes and so ashley in particular um has like done like a fair bit of just you know your basic googling research about what goes into different flavors of meals and so like if we're having mexican night or if we're having like even like you could go stroganoff or you could go a um what's that pasta chicken dish called basil pesto basil pesto like all those different dishes instead of like going out and buying like the maggie sachet that 99.9 percent of people do to cheat code their way to dinner like we have to literally have a huge spice drawer in which has every spice you could think of imaginable but in its separate quantity uh separate separate it out into each individual dishes so that way we can like splice together the flavors we want to make um, and kind of concoct the dish that we can eat and that's safe for her. And And it can be fun. Like I think of like kids that used to, my sister used to go out into the garden with her little wheelbarrow and make potions with (laughs) the mud and that's how I feel when I'm in the kitchen, like I'm playing. Are you saying you didn't ever do that? Are you lying to us right now? We all know you did it as well. No, I actually hated dirt when I was a kid. What? Yeah. I used to mix all of the... uh all of the soaps in the bathroom together and pretend I was making a potion. I would just be wasting fuck tons of soap. (laughs) (laughs) That's where Kai gets it from. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun. I'd just, you'd be like four or five, you'd just be in there just like with a bowl. Just, uh, mum never, never, never found out. Like I'm sure, like I, not that I was worried about getting caught, but she never noticed me playing with all of that soap. But I'm sure I would have gotten into trouble. Soaps like it really gets expensive. It can get very expensive. (laughs) 
But yeah, yeah. You're, you're effectively doing chemistry with your cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gives you a really cool understanding of food. And like Ashley was saying, without garlic and onion, you got to work out what the hell makes this taste good. Yeah, like a great example is, do you even know what's in Mexican taco mix? Like the taco mix you put with your mints, do you even know the ingredients that are in that? Mm. And I didn't know this until I was like, I, I really want to have... I want to have nachos again. <laughs> so, so simple. But then I looked on the back of a taco packet, sachet packet that I bought for Chaz, and I looked at all the ingredients and 90% of the ingredients I could eat. Maybe 95% of the ingredients I could eat. It was like cumin, paprika, turmeric, a little bit of sugar. Um, what else was there? I can't actually remember the other ingredients yeah, the off basil. the top of my basil. Um, and the only ingredients I couldn't eat were like the onion, the pepper, and the chili. Yeah which in a mild mix isn't that much anyway. Not that I would eat it because I would shit myself but <laughs> <laughs> or vomit. Um, but, yeah, like when, once you you give yourself the knowledge, you become empowered and you're like, actually, not only could I be making my own meals from scratch, which is really fun, but I could actually be saving money by making my own Yeah, 100% sources. you're saving money. The other thing you're also doing there is like by like you could literally do that exactly like she said, go to the – Go to the shops, look at the back of like the sachet flavor packets, pick out the important um, flavors in there, go to the um, spice aisle and choose your spices. But the best thing about that is, is those flavor packets are covered in MSGs as well. So they've got all of these artificial additives that are also in there. And so you're avoiding consuming all of these artificial additives that are horrible for you. Um, and they, they have been shown to have like poor relationships with people's gut biomes. Um, some of them even have like poor relationships with brain health as well. Mm. Um, so depending on whatever concoctions in there to make it even taste that little bit better, um, if you can, if you can isolate those out and just grab the spices that you need, you're still going to have like a epically good tasting meal. Mm. You don't need, you don't need those packets. And so you're getting healthier food, cheaper food. Um, and you're learning about what makes your food taste good, which is always like a, if you can make cooking an experience where you're learning, you're going to thoroughly enjoy cooking far more than um, it just being like this mundane process because then you can get adventurous. Like these days, Ash and I often in the kitchen, I, I, I probably do it a little bit more than you, I feel like, but um, there's no, no better challenge than look opening your fridge and being like, oh, crap, we, we're kind of low on uh, low on groceries this week. What the hell can I make out of nothing? But like when you have this knowledge of like, oh, this tastes good with this and this flavor tastes like this, like you can literally make anything out of whatever's there. Mm-hmm. And it'll I, I don't think I've made anything that tastes bad yet. No. Which is surprising. I just have this memory of my mom making this dish one night. <laughs> <laughs> And she made it and she slaved over it for ages and she served it up to every, everyone and I ate it first and I was like, mum, this is horrible. Like, and she was like, I was like a, like a, the guy who always complained about dinner when I was like a kid, which is a horrible way to be, but mm. sorry, mum. Love you, mum. Yeah. You, you cooked fabulous meals 99% of the time. But this one, and I still complained. I was just a moody teenager. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but this one was particularly bad. I ate it first. My dad was kind of like, hey, like, cut it out. Be nice to your mum kind of thing. I was like, you try it. He tries it and he kind of like pulls this face. I was like, it's not good, is it? 
<laughs> and he's like, no, it's, it's good, like trying to force his way through it. And then my sister ate it and she was like, yuck. <laughs> and then mum was like, oh, wow, it must really be bad. She gave it a go and then she's like, I'm throwing this all in the bin. <laughs> I was like, thank God we didn't push through that one. Uh, but yeah, see, sometimes you can have like a horrible mix. Mm. Um, sorry to throw mum under the bus there. Oh, it was one out of the millions of times that she's cooked delicious food. For yeah, she, she, she's a great cook. Yeah. But it. I also want to point it out and say, when I said all the things that I couldn't eat, you're probably like, oh my God, you can't eat anything. But, you know, the meals that we have are so delicious. We have spaghetti bolognese, which stop buying the, the store-bought sauce for that. You are wasting so much money. It's literally just like tomato paste, Italian herbs, stock cube. Canned tomatoes. Canned tomatoes, the, the onion and garlic that I can't eat. Yeah if, yeah, if you want onion and garlic, add that. And then just like your assortment of veggies. Your yeah. Your capsicums, your cucumbers, your carrots, your... Uh, mushrooms. I doubt people put vegetables it, in their bolognese. It, yeah, I know. That's, but you got to. Those, yeah. So those ones are the crucial. And then you've also got to add in if you if like people think this is blasphemy, but it tastes so good. Like throw some peas and some corn in there. Oh uh, yeah, I'm not a peas. And it corn slaps. Now. I enjoy it. It really slaps. Also, if you struggle uh, with our bolognese, Chaz actually started grating the carrot and zucchini. So like it's it's almost unnoticeable. It just adds some like liquid to the. I didn't do it to hide it. I no. did it because I felt like I, I really enjoy carrot and I wanted there to be an even blend of flavour throughout mm. it instead of just getting it in little chunks. Like yeah, the sweetness of carrot is so nice. So if you grate it, it blends really throughout the mince really well. Um, and, it, yeah, it just t- – the flavour profile ends up being way more dense. Um, That's a huge benefit actually to – lowering the amount of sugar in your diet you actually enjoy the flavors of things like carrot like i used to think carrot and probably you know from Woolworths it isn't the greatest it is has a bunch of pesticides but we still buy our carrots from there i never used to enjoy carrot Mm. and and now i can taste it and actually go oh there's actually a a flavor here like there's a little bit of sweetness Mm. and like it just feels good to be able to enjoy vegetables that's part of it too like enjoying what you're eating yeah you're alluding to if you reduce your overall sugar intake like let's say you just stop eating sweet things all the time you'll start to notice how sweet other things actually are yeah but that's a really hard thing for people to do as well like sugar addiction is huge people can't help themselves but snack on like little chocolates throughout the workday or whatever it might be or adding uh, just teaspoons of sugar into your tea or coffee. Like once, you, once you start getting to the point where you're adding like regular teaspoons into everything, everything else is just going to start tasting average. And so that's the best part about it. Yeah, abstinence from sweetness brings out the sweetness in all things. Mm-hmm. I actually, as you were saying, <laughs> such a great metaphor. It applies to everything, but, you know, like abstinence from anything makes it taste better when you get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> The way you were just talking about sugar made me realize how much of a drug sugar is. People use it to deal with stress. Mm. Like addicts, what are they doing? They're, they're using whatever they're addicted to mm. to escape the feeling that they were feeling before, which is stress, mm. right? And then I, what was the other example you gave? People eat sugar. Uh, I can't remember. I was but giving like samples, like tea, chocolate. Oh, and people also use it to enhance 
potentially their energy as well. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so funny because it's it's a Band-Aid. It's a temporary fix. Yeah, you're on a roller coaster. Once you start it, you're going to end up going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Like, you have to keep it up the whole time if you're going to start that direction. And then that's the the double-edged sword of it. Like, if you Mm. start eating sugar you're going to have that spike and you're going to have that low from mm. the glycemic, in, glycemic index swing. Mm. Um, and then if you don't keep it up, you get the low. If you keep it up, you can't use it all, especially if you're not exercising. So if you're exercising, you can get away with it. Like if you're actually in the process of about to start exercising and you dump a heap of sugar into your bloodstream mm. and then you exercise, you're actually going to get like performance benefits from that. But if you're not exercising, that sugar has to go somewhere. And where it goes is your insulin comes in and then it, it carries it away. It stores it um, and sugar will get then converted, if not burnt, into um, fat. And then that gets stored around your body. Um, and then it, in order to release the fat, you actually need to wait for a period of time where you no longer have a in, like an insulin spike in your bloodstream and once insulin goes down because you no longer have are ingesting a heap of sugar, um, you'll then have a hormone that's released called glucagon. And glucagon comes in and actually goes to all of where you've stored all your fat cells and starts kind of like, I guess, pulling it apart and then making that met, met, um, metabolized or like able to be metabolized, sorry, and then you you can burn your fat stores. But you have to be in a fasted state mm. to get to that point. And yeah. so that's why fasting works so well mm. um, because you your glucagon's working hard. Um, but it's a swing. It's a swing. So picture like if glucagon's working, insulin's down. And if insulin's up, glucagon's not doing its job. And you're either you're in, you're, you're in transport and store phase of your glu- uh, glycogen or sugar effectively transport and storing of the sugar yeah and that's what insulin does and so that's why like people who have diabetes um they're either they're insulin resistant um and so it means that the insulin's not doing doing its job Mm -hmm. right and so you're you're not removing the sugar from your bloodstream Mm -hmm. um which you can you can end up is it removing the sugar from your bloodstream I have no idea. I can't remember off the top of my head. I've, I've blanked out on it. That's okay because I was honestly, I, I kept, <laughs> I was really trying to focus on what you were saying. It's hard for me to do it without like a visual. The, the, main, the main thing is, is like you don't want to ha- be spiking it all the time. Mm. Um, That's why I like the idea of, and I think of that bulletproof guy, I think, who, who was talking about caffeine when he was you know, like five days off, two days on when it comes to caffeine. Mm. Don't think it was a bulletproof guy. I'm not sure it was. Yeah, but bulletproof coffee. Even the yeah. same idea with sugar or like high sugary foods. I really like the idea of like throughout the week eating really healthy. And then on the weekends, if I do feel inclined to have some sugar, mm. I will. I'm not going to punish myself um, and not have sugar or not have caffeine. But in that way, I feel like you're giving your body enough time to restore its, like, glucogen levels. Correct Glu- me if I'm wrong. Glucagon. It's not Glucagon. that, like, it's like the the levels just rise when you don't have insulin in your blood. Okay. But, yeah. But you get, you're going to burn more fat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, pretty close. Okay. 
Um, but I, you know, we, we are talking about, we've mentioned some things that are pretty like intense for people that want to make a lifestyle change, like fasting and cooking all your meals and it, cutting out sugar completely. And like Chaz said it in the beginning, it's best to start with one and, or if you're going to do a couple, pick a couple ideas that you want to start with for your lifestyle change and then do the the suggestion where, you know, five days you're really disciplined with it. And it's loving discipline. It's not, um, I'm going to smack you over the head with a ruler discipline. It's like, because I want to care for my body, because I want to eventually have kids, because I want to, as a, eventually as a grandparent, I want to be physically able enough to lift my grandchildren, things like that. This is why I am having such discipline from Monday to Friday. And avoid Alzheimer's. And avoid Alzheimer's and dementia and what was that? Okay, there's a film, a documentary, which I highly recommend, called That Sugar Film. Mm. And he said that I was oh, was it that sugar film? Was that something else your mum showed me? That something about <laughs> I'm gonna butcher it. Sugar levels and dementia. And that it's like technically the third type of diabetes or something like that. Yeah, no, that's exactly right because of your um, your insulin resistance occurring. The people who are like um, type, type 1 or 2 diabetes have something like a fourfold increase in um, getting some kind of degenerative brain disease like that. Like it's 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 scary. So like it, <laughs> the best thing you can do for your health is just try and – avoid becoming insulin dependent or resistant like you mm. you need to ensure that you take charge of your sugar input but like anyone who's obese is at that risk as well like it's that's a sure sign if you're overweight then you've probably got like some kind of issue with your your sh- insulin swings because you're just you're you're storing more fat so that means mm. you're you must have higher insulin to convert all of that energy into storage because you're not burning it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely, if you were, to, if, I, if I was to say to someone, you want to change, if you wanted to change like one thing from like a, a lifestyle perspective with eating, I would say it would be reduce your sugar intake. Like try and get that to net zero in regards to additional sugar added in your life. Like not like avoiding things that have, sugars in them like for instance like fruits or vegetables but if you can avoid like eating lollies or adding teaspoons of sugar into whatever it might be even like soft drinks drinks, juice like anything that is pretty much just sugar content Mm. cut that out and if you can cut that out it'll make a huge change to your life and it it won't like if even if you go to like a takeout store and you're going to eat like mcdonald's or whatever it is Order a water, order a water like that. Just that change alone is like huge, yeah. and just start there. Start just reduce all of all of the sugar, unnecessary sugar intake, and that would be a great dietary choice. Um, and then if I was like, once you've kind of got that under wraps, my next thing would be, okay, let's look at how like if you want to just lose weight, I would like look at how often are you eating, introducing a fasting period, and then monitoring. What is your daily expenditure and how much do you actually need to eat 
Mm. And if you can calculate that, you'll start losing fat quite quickly. There is something I wanted to say on that, on how much you can eat. There's there's two studies that I want to refer to, one which is very clear in my mind and another which is not, but it was around portion control. So I used to eat as much as you would eat for breakfast, which doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? I am half your size, so possibly not the greatest idea, but I used to eat till I felt like sickly full. Um, and I did notice that I was gaining weight. And so I just dropped down from two eggs to one egg, or it was like two pieces of toast to one piece of toast. And I would stop trying to chase that full feeling, that sick full feeling. Which is super nice. It is fun to be that sick full feeling. I, d- I hate it. I absolutely I, hate I it. Like I turn it. into a sloth, man. I don't yeah. want to do a single thing. It is nice to relax, but... Anyway. <laughs> uh, there was one study where they were in a movie theater and they didn't, these people didn't know they were as a part of a test. They were handing out free popcorn. Half the group got a medium sized bucket filled with popcorn. And the other half of the group got a large size bucket filled with popcorn, which was double the size. So when they went back in after this experiment, they had realized that everyone who had gotten the medium sized bucket ended up eating less than the people that ate who had the large bucket, everyone who had the large bucket completely finished their bucket, mm. which is which is trying to show you that if you have more in front of you, you are going to eat more. Mm. So if you can slightly reduce your portion size, if you're already, if you're the person that is always eating till they're sickly full, if you can reduce your portion size just by like a micro amount and not eat till you're sickly full, Instead of reaching for more food, drink some more water, drink a tea with no sugar in it, by the way, then you will, I think you'll even start to notice, not only do you feel better, I felt 10 times better, but I wasn't gaining weight. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, like, yeah, just halve your portions. Um, and I think you were, yeah, what you pointed to at the start there where you're saying you were eating portions relative to like, I'm probably almost double your body weight. Um, and so you eating the same size portions to me is ridiculous. But it's also like just comfortable to like when you're serving your partner food, new food, you kind of just do the same thing immediately mm-hmm. while you're doing it. And so even though it seems intuitive, like for some reason instinctively you don't end up doing that. They've actually got studies on people with brain injuries that have like a, that show a similar thing. Um, so these people had like memory issues and they would bring them in to eat. They'd go eat um, their food. They'd take them out and they would give them like a two-course meal. They would have them all enter the room, eat their food, leave the room, and then they would ring the bell again because like after a certain amount of time, all of these people forgot that like because of the brain injury like that, that they've already eaten. They would ring, ring the bell as if lunchtime was happening again and they would all line up. They'd walk them all in and they would all eat like a whole nother meal again. And like they fed them enough that like you would obviously be sati- like satiated. Mm. Um, and these people all comfortably ate another meal. So it kind of just goes to show that a lot of eating is also just habitual. Mm. Um, and so taking taking ownership over your eating habits is really the best way to take ownership over your eating. Mm. Um, our instinctive guidance on how much to eat isn't that great because 
we we would have grown up in a time where like when you had food and as in like I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, like evolutionarily wise. Like our ancestors. Our ancestors, yeah. Like when you had food, you ate a lot of it because you weren't sure when the next meal was coming. And so, and we are very, very good um, creatures with energy conservation. So our, like the amount of food we eat and the way we store it, we, we can go without food for ages. Like you can literally not eat for a month and you you'll be fine um but that is not a recommendation by the way yeah definitely don't do that but like if if you had your your um like you, if you had enough water and um you had all of your like micronutrients catered for you could like there's a guy who a young man who lost all of his weight over a whole year of just not eating and a doctor managed his water intake and his micronutrients and he was fine but I can't. I can't remember exactly how long you can go without food entirely before yeah. you die. But you can. You can last a long time. It's yeah. not recommended. You'd lose like muscle yeah. and everything. But what Chaz is pointing out is that our body is capable of not needing to be fed as much as we are feeding it. So don't not eat. Definitely don't do that. But what he's saying is our body has the capacity. Although you might get some some signs like within your stomach that's going, "I'm hungry now." You know, if you're Filling yourself every two hours, probably not fantastic. And we do fast. Like we ha- Well, I mean, we were fasting, we stopped fasting, and now we're fasting again. Well, and, I never stopped. Well, technically, because you were drinking coffee at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I so we technically kind of- still would not yeah. eat for 12 hours. I think other people's windows are a lot smaller than that. But, you know, we, we definitely finish dinner before 8 o'clock and then we wake up and have a coffee at 8.30. Yeah. With the fasting, we, we, a meal. we try and push it to – but it's still breaking the fast. So we'd, we'd, we're trying to push it now more towards like 10, 10.30, maybe even 11 before we're eating again. But in saying that, when I'm on my period – I will close the window a little more. And there's been a bit of research on that as well. Like fasting for 16 hours is like fantastic if you can. But when women are on their periods, it's more likely a 14-hour fasting window because we are exerting so much energy that we need to be still filling ourselves with nourishment at that time. Yeah. Mm. Um. I don't really have any more points to be made. I don't think so either. Uh, oh, I was going to say that, um, like, fasting in, is, I was going to say biblical was the word I was going to use, but it's also, like, there's a lot of other religions that um, have, mm-hmm. like, ideas around fasting. So it's, in, in that sense, it's also been around the human civilization for a very, very long time. Um, but there's also a story in the Bible where, um, Jesus goes out into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, or I think, I think is the time scale. And he ends up meeting the devil and the devil and him have this like intellectual battle and the devil's trying to trick him the whole time. But he, the, like Jesus in this story is very, very switched on and witty because he's in a fasted state. And so it's just it's kind of talking to like, when you are fasted, you tend to be like cognitive, very, very like functioning very well cognitively because when you're hungry, you almost get like an acute sense of focus because if 
like you don't know when your next meal is coming, but from like a hunting point of view, like being very focused is very useful to getting your next meal. And so you get this clarity when you're hungry as well, but you have to get past that like initial hunger phase. Like most people hit hunger phase and the discomfort and then they just eat. But if you push past that, all of a sudden you get focus and clarity. Mm. Um, So that's another side benefit that comes from from fasting as well that I think is overlooked and um, underutilized. I was actually thinking as you spoke of that story about Jesus, you know, 40 days of fasting and then met the devil, I thought it was actually a bit of a metaphor for how it feels internally when you're trying to push yourself to do something that's really uncomfortable. Mm. Like it gets to a certain point where you're doing this thing and you're having this internal battle in your head. You're like, oh, I'm fucking frustrated. I just want to eat something. And then you're like, but then another part of you is like, no, we're actually doing really good. This is great. Keep going. And there's another part of us is like, oh, fuck you. Let's just go fucking eat that muffin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know there's a muffin in my cupboard. Like you're you're going back yeah, and forth. Yeah, and so it's kind of like the devil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I like that. I like that analogy. Mm. So yes, uh, it definitely challenges you to. Be, yeah, you're challenged, but uh, mental de- discipline. Mental discipline. Develop a bit of a, a different relationship with yourself, and then once you dive into one of these things, and you actually stick with it long enough to notice the benefits then you're like okay well how much better can I feel now and sometimes you'll fall off the wagon and then it's 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 and we do this too Mm. it's pivotal that you you are aware of you know like I am choosing to eat this thing that isn't so great for me right now that's okay maybe I want to enjoy it then you eat it and you notice the feeling afterwards it's like is this actually benefiting me right now mentally emotionally like physically in my body how does my body feel no maybe i shouldn't do this all the time yeah it's so funny like bad food now will give like us such a bad response that it's enough for me to be like i'm not eating this for the next six months Mm. like a huge a, a real obvious one for me is anytime i eat kfc and i constantly crave eating kfc like i think it would be i, I like i love kfc it's so good but horrible for you. And anytime I eat KFC, I immediately go 10 minutes of greatness and then just like two hours of slug. Mm. You don't notice it unless you're, you've been eating well for a while. But I had, don't think I've eaten KFC in like two years now because the last time I ate it, I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? What would you say to someone who's eating KFC on the reg and on the rig, mm. and they can't see the benefit to not eating KFC. Like, you know, people really get stuck on the, on the train. Like they want to make a change, mm. but they're stuck on this train of uh, this thing. They think this thing brings them joy or it's something to look forward to at the end of the day. And they can't notice the side effects that, food like that might be giving them i would ask them who are your role models like who do you look up to and do you think they eat kfc Mm. i think a lot of people like like they don't have role models or they don't have like they're either not exposing themselves to enough interesting people that they can be like yeah this person is like something that i can aspire to um and i think it's important to have those people and I, again, it's almost like a, a, a another push for like why 
like religious ideology is good because it's like commending you to go seek a higher power. But that higher power could easily just be like some someone that you, you just really look up to and value, like a really good mentor. Um, it could be like your PT. It could be like someone who's like really well put together at work. Yeah. yeah, it could be anyone, right? Like someone who someone who has the things that you feel like would make you a bit better of a person and you could aspire to and they could help you. Like try and start making choices that you think would um, benefit you and that they would make. They would make. Um, I also don't want to say like go be someone else because you still yeah. got to be you. Um, but high-functioning people, trust me, aren't, eat, aren't eating that food. So like go look, look, go look at whoever inspires you and think, are they eating KFC on the regular? Because if, if, if they are, you probably need a different person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I doubt you could find someone. Their role model is that guy on YouTube that just like purposely overeats in all his videos. Have you seen that guy? <laughs> He's, he got huge and yeah. he purposely just, that would, don't, please don't make that person your role model. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I reckon that would be a good way, way of, of approaching it. Mm. Um that's actually, that's one of the main things I, I used to like taking my coaching clients through it was a lot of the stuff that I was working with people through was about like confidence and, and mental and emotional well-being. And that's one of the biggest first things I take them through is like, who do you look up to and or who are you jealous of? And both are a good indication of they those people are showing parts of you that you don't realize you have within you yeah. and and. And once you can bring those out, because, you know, I can look at Chaz and be like, I really admire how outspoken he is. I don't think that's the right word that I want to use. Like how confident you are, for example. But the way that I embody confidence in an authentic way is actually going to look different to how it is within you. Yeah. Um, but the the point of it is, is I'm aware that I I admire the confidence within you and your, I guess, extroversion. And so what would Chaz do that I can try to adopt? And I can try it out and see how it goes. Yeah. And it could possibly benefit me for the better. Yeah, I agree. That was really good advice, Chaz. Oh, thank you. I, I liked it. I thought it was a left-leaning left way of, like, looking at that, like a bit of left field. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, also because I, I, I would personally say, like, if you're going to go find a mentor – um, you want to find a mentor in which you want to embody their lifestyle m- more so than what they do. Unless like what they do is the lifestyle you want. Like let's say you want to become a lawyer and that's like all you care about, then go do that. Um, but Yeah, it's not necessarily about like buying the clothes that they buy or yeah. having the house that they have. It's like, what values do they have? Do they value family? Do they value health? Why, like, how are they doing those things right that you like respond well to, and you think that would could would be a really cool way for me to live my life? Like, if you just think, oh, I'm going to aspire to be Bill Gates, like, I don't know, I, I don't know much about the guy, but yeah, when you look at him, you're like, eh. <laughs> it's more like, what about Bill Gates? do you want to embody like do you uh, he's obviously not my mentor but he could be someone is it just like the money factor or is it like 
you know, something that we don't know that he's done that you, really inspires you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, his thing in Africa was pretty cool, although like, well, I might kick an ant's nest there because yeah. I think he's done some bad vaccine things in Africa as well that didn't pan out very well. But he did some really cool like water waste management stuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> clearly we're not. Um, not yeah. well versed to talk about that very yeah. much. But yeah, but you get the idea. Oh, the cat wants us to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that was a really cool podcast. And uh, if you have any suggestions, let us know and we'll uh, talk about it more. Yeah, and hopefully we didn't lose you because you're dog people. <laughs> <laughs> At the very end there. All right, bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's my new outro. <laughs> <laughs>